Hi, and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. It's Vicky Midwood speaking here, and I am the alcohol and disordered eating eliminator. And I wanted to share with you today, it is my 16th episode, and it's also the 16th anniversary of the day that I had my final drink. And what better episode and what better day to share with you just what that was like and how it even came about. So you might have listened to my uh, podcast from last week, which was part one of my story. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I have shared part two, is kind of chronological order, on my Facebook group in a, in a live stream there. So my Facebook group is Lifestyle is Health. Um, and you feel free to, to join that and have a little listen. Uh, it's also on YouTube as well. So if you want to catch up with part two, please feel free. But obviously, I'm going to explain um, just what I've learned in 16 years of alcohol-free and uh, being alcohol-free and a little bit about um, what took me to being able to say I'm 16 years alcohol-free and I do not even think about it. And it's really important that I say that because I am a recovered alcoholic. Now, I'm not going to get into the uh, the argument that some people in AA seem to delight in, in perpetuating, but the AA book actually does talk about being recovered in that you no longer have the obsession of mind or body or the desire to use alcohol. It has com been completely removed and that is exactly what I mean by recovered. Now some people misunderstand that and think that I'm cured of alcoholism, right? Here's the thing, my body cannot deal with alcohol well, my brain can't handle it, my neurotransmitters, my hormones, my digestive system does just does not deal with it well at all. So if I was to pick up again, would I very quickly find myself back to being in that whole alcoholism and the ism being the compulsion and the, the need to keep using that substance, whatever it happens to be, on a daily basis? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there is no doubt about it. But do I now even think about not drinking? No, it's just not something that crosses my mind. It's just like I no longer smoke. I am a non-smoker. I don't call myself an ex-smoker. I'm a non-smoker. I don't smoke. It's not on my radar. It's not on my agenda. Do I mind anybody else that's smoking around me? Well, I don't mind it. I have to say, I don't particularly like it because it absolutely stinks. But does it make me feel that I'm missing out somehow and that I want to go back to it? Absolutely not. And I feel exactly the same way about alcohol. So will I go out for dinner um, and, and go to parties and pubs and stuff where people are drinking alcohol? Yeah, of course I will. Yeah, But I don't have need or the desire to participate. It's as simple as that. It's not hard. I'm not white knuckling it. I'm not a dry drunk. I hate that term, but that means when you are not drinking, but you wish you were. And none of that. So how has that happened? Well, very simply, I was ridiculously fortunate. And it sounds probably crazy, but I actually had my last drink, as I said, uh, a year, 16 years ago to the day. It was, it, and it was actually a Sunday and it was the 30th, 16 years ago. And 
I had gone away for the weekend to spend some time with my dad and stepmom. Well, actually for my daughter so, to spend some time with them because we hadn't seen them for, for quite a while. And the last couple of times I'd been up to Huddersfield from London, I'd been to see my mum because my mum wasn't, wasn't great. Plus also, because of my alcoholism, when I was up in Huddersfield, my dad and stepmom were not jumping for joy to want to meet up with me or my daughter at all. Um, it wasn't on their list of, of things that they were looking forward to. It's as simple as that. And do I blame them? No, absolutely not. But I decided to go up. I'd booked a, a hotel because when I went up there, I couldn't stay with either of my parents. My mum was in a, an old folks home and my dad and stepmom made it very, very clear that um, if I came up to Huddersfield, I was not going to be welcome staying at either their house or at my brother's house. So it was up to me to, to get a hotel for the night, which is why I used to go up on a Saturday and usually drive back on the Sunday. Or if, if I could afford to spend two nights, I might spend two nights. Normally, though, um, I was working at weekends anyway, so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily an option that I could do more than one night. Anyway, I booked to the go to the hotel, and I was going to go up. My daughter would arrange that that my daughter was actually going to spend the day with my dad and stepmom without me for them to just spend some quality time with her, which I thought would be great because while that happened, I could then go and see my mom. It was she was six at the time uh, and my mum was in an old folks home and the home she was in then was not the one that she ended up in the one she ended up in was incredible uh, the, the the people who ran it were just a delight and just so kind and, and amazing in her in her last few days and I can't fault them however the home that she first went into I'm afraid to say was not like that it was uh, absolutely for psychiatric patients who had got a lot of disturbed issues going on and my mum pretty much was not as bad as a lot of them were which meant that she chose to spend the majority of her days in her own room just watching tv now to be fair that suited her state of mind because there was a, she was under no pressure to, to do anything to go out to meet people and it actually suited her of course it didn't do her any favors from a mental health point of view but it did mean that when i went up there i was able to take her out and get her out of the, those four walls um but to take my daughter with me it was never cool i didn't like it there would be people you know, making a, a, a lot of noise, they would be rocking in their seats, there would be alarms going, and to a six-year-old kid, that environment is is pretty damn scary and, and not ideal at all. So I was quite pleased that that was, that was what I'd arranged. However, the person that I was living with at the time decided at the last minute that was gonna come with me. And that meant that he wanted to take his car and not mine. Now I'd got my car ready to go, and by that point I was, drinking out of water bottles but I was drinking something that could pass as water now the drink of my drink of choice by that stage I'm talking 2005 was was wine usually white wine and soda I found wine on its own far too acidy so beer and wine were my tipples and uh, I wasn't a hardened uh, spirit drinker oh, I liked liqueurs I did like Baileys I was quite partial to an amaretto or three but it was pretty much beer and wine. However, in a plastic water bottle, wine and soda looks like pee, <laughs> and it does. So if I was in the car going on any journey, I would have to have something that looked 
clear. And so what I would do would I would I would buy ready made from Marks and Spencers or or any other supermarket that stocked them, the ready made gin and tonics. Now gin and tonic was not my drink. I was not a gin fan at all. But what I needed was to have something for the journey in the car with me that if, for example, I should get stopped, um, it wouldn't look like I'd got alcohol in there. Now, obviously, if I'd have got stopped, I would have stunk of alcohol anyway. But but in my head, that was what I was going to do. And of course, when there was a change of car, I had a bottle of water, but I also had the bottle with the gin and tonic in it. I grabbed the wrong bottle. And so we had a trip up to Huddersfield that took four hours plus. Uh, bank holiday weekend, traffic was busier than normal. I can't remember if we had a stopover. We might have had a stop for, for a coffee and a wee break, which you know, normally when I do it on my own, I don't stop. I just literally get, get there, get where I'm going, put my foot down a bit, to be quite honest. Um, but I wasn't driving, so it wasn't up to me. And so it took longer, probably about four and a half hours. Um, and I hadn't had any alcohol since that morning. Now, that may not sound like a long time. In fact, it probably sounds pretty damn normal for most people. But at that, at that time, I was a, a functioning alcoholic who needed to be drinking pretty much 24-7. I was, I was like on a drip. As soon as I woke up, it was white wine and soda. It was beer. It was wine and soda all through the day. Yeah, I'd have the odd coffee. Um, in the morning to get my system going but then it would be straight onto it and so to go for that length of time I was already starting to feel withdrawal symptoms which goes to show just how physically addicted to that my body and all of its cells were. Now by this point I'd actually lost feeling in all of my feet and all of my shins right up into my knees and I still hadn't connected that with my alcohol intake. So because I hadn't had the alcohol getting out of the car, I was a little bit wobbly. So it almost looked like I'd had a drink and I hadn't. Um, that evening at dinner, I, I, I tried to have a drink and it came back up. And I felt the most weirdest I've ever felt in my life. I couldn't put my finger on it, didn't know what it was. And I hallucinated, I started hallucinating that very first night. Now, in hindsight, just not having alcohol, even for that length of time, who would have known that that would have been the outcome for me? Just stopping drinking for any length of time um, when you've been drinking a lot is, is always a dangerous prospect and it does not come highly recommended but my body was rejecting it and so the following day was a Sunday my parents picked up my daughter the plan was for me to go and see my mum I wasn't in a fit state I was just I didn't know what was going on I hadn't slept that night apparently I tried to get out the window in the hotel room I don't remember any of that apparently I'd gone downstairs and tried to get out um and thankfully, whoever was staying in the, it was a pub slash, um, they had rooms as well, uh, basically said to my partner, what is she doing? Come down and get her. Um, no recollection of any of that stuff at all. The following day, my, my partner said hi to my dad. Off Georgina went. I didn't really say hello to him or anything. He just said I wasn't feeling very well. I got a headache. Um, we went out for lunch and he said, you need to have a drink. He was pretty astute. He kind of knew that, that it must be something to do with the fact that I was getting withdrawal symptoms and that perhaps a drink was actually the best thing to do. And I tried to have a white wine and soda and literally within the space of a couple of minutes of 
two mouthfuls, it, it came straight out to rush to the ladies. And so there we were in this dilemma of how do we make me feel better when my body couldn't, didn't seem to want to accept the alcohol. And what were we going to do? Because we were, we were away, nowhere near our doctor. We were away for the weekend and we were heading back home the next day. So we struggled through another, another night, uh, I believe. Honestly, can't remember. Back home on the Monday uh, was the bank holiday. And then, of course, it was half term. And I distinctly remember um, walking with my daughter from my house. I normally took the car to take her to school. But a school was in walking distance, walking to the school. Because in my head, I thought she had an appointment. And I had an appointment with the head. And they were going to take her away and look after her for me. Now, obviously, this probably sounds so weird when I'm saying this. Part of me must have known that this was going to be my opportunity to sort myself out. And uh, in whoever, whatever you believe in, I truly believe that the universe stepped in because I've never done anything like that before. Never never walked with her to school, never organized an appointment with, with the head. And of course, when I got there, she didn't, they didn't, there were people in the school, it was half term, they were doing work, as, as those of you in the school world know, um, half term is not a break necessarily for you. And there were people in the school, including the caretaker who I knew very well, and he just said, have you forgotten it's half term, Vic? What are you doing here? So we walked back down through through the same way do we come and, and I walked into our little main high street and apparently, and I don't remember this either, but I was um, trying to open and get into cars. Apparently I must have been trying to go somewhere. Somebody realised that something was going on with me, called an ambulance and and made me stand outside Barclays Bank while this ambulance arrived. I was adamant I wasn't going in it. And they were adamant when I got in there that I was drunk. Now, of course, I've got my child who is six years old. And they took us to uh, to A&E and, and asked me what I'd been drinking. And, and I was honest. I said, I haven't. I haven't had a drink for, for 24 hours, uh, more. So by this point, I don't know if this was the bank holiday Monday. It must have been the Tuesday because the teachers wouldn't have been in school. So time's kind of a bit of a blur. Um, and they took me to A&E and they tried to give me some stuff. And I'm absolute nightmare when it comes to anybody giving me any medication that I don't know what it is and I don't know what it does. So having seen the effects of medication on my mum and her mental health, my association with medication and, and not knowing what's in it is powerful. But here's the thing. And this is what I want to share with you more than anything. My biggest fear has always been that I will end up like my mum, that I will have some kind of mental issue that I'm not in control of. And the thing with hallucinations, and if anybody has suffered the DTs, delirium treatments, it is pretty damn serious. It is, people talk about DTs as people just being a bit shaky when they get, it's much, much more than that. You're absolutely hallucinating. Your heart rate does crazy things. Your blood pressure does drops through the floor. Uh, it's pretty damn dangerous. But what I wanted to, to kind of really kind of share was was that the, the hospital were absolutely insistent that I was drunk and I wasn't. They could they didn't recognize what was going on and they sent me home. Now we did get my partner to come and pick my daughter up because obviously you can imagine that she was in the state, she knew what was going on. But they sent me home at like a ridiculous time in the morning and I in my head remember crawling on my hands and knees up the hill from the hospital. Now, I'm guessing that didn't actually happen, but it's as clear as a bell even now when I think about it. I'm guessing somehow I must have got into a taxi because another part didn't come to pick me up. And the following day, I was pretty much all up all night, 
And I distinctly remember things just moving. Every time I looked out the patio doors into my garden, the garden furniture would have moved. It would have hopped over the fence into the other garden. When I turned around, things in my living room had changed places. Um, and I was fully aware that this was not normal and this was impossible. And yet this is what my eyes were telling me. And that's when I was convinced I was going bananas. Now this went on for another 24 hours until my partner realized that, that he needed to do something. And very fortunately got an appointment to see my, my GP who was amazing. And she basically saw me, I was hiding behind the curtain. You know where they examine you in the doctors and they pull the curtain around? So I'd pull the curtain around and I was hiding behind there like I wasn't there, listening to what they were saying. And I was hearing what they were saying, right? And I remember, and I popped out the curtains like, like a child and went, I am here, you know. Um, and I, these are the little things that I can distinctly remember whilst I was in the DTs. And I remember driving from the the doctors straight to the Priory in Southgate, which for those of you in London, it's not far from where I live at all. Um, and I remember talking to the radio, like the radio was talking to me in the car and giving a running commentary about how badly my partner was driving and how close to the parked cars on the left side he was getting. Oh, very vivid, vivid stuff. And I remember being in the room and, and basically then they started to monitor what was going on and, and pretty much knocked me out. Now, long story, very, very short, I know it's already been long, is that my heart rate absolutely tanked and my heart rate's low anyway because of my anorexia and my bulimia and my leaky gut and all of the, the crazy things that I did when I was younger. Um, so my heart rate is naturally low, around about 44, 45. Um, so you can imagine when it tanked, I'm talking seriously, seriously low heartbeat, but also massively low blood pressure. And at one point they were monitoring me every 20 minutes because it was touch and go as to whether I would actually be okay. Um, obviously DTs, they were worried about brain damage uh, and the effect that this craziness was having, would, it, would I actually come out of it? It was an unknown and a pretty damn scary time. Fortunately, I, to I was told about it afterwards and obviously uh, yeah, I'm okay. The, the thing about it is, is my memory, my short-term memory is pretty much shot, which makes it really quite a challenge when I'm, when I'm studying, especially for exams, because I can read stuff and I can feel that I know it. And yet when it comes to trying to get it back from my memory vaults, it's just not there, which is why um, for anybody who's seen me on a Zoom call or on a live call, you see that I'm surrounded by post-it notes in my in my office because all of those post-it notes have reminders and stuff uh, just to help me to prompt my memory. And that is a lasting effect of my alcoholism. So once I was in the Priory, I was so relieved. I can't tell you so so relieved and when I when they finally you know I came around and stuff um, I mean I still remember how the, the hallucinations were happening at a private room if anybody's been in a rehab you you get a private room in the Priory and I remember there being a telephone obviously I'm going back a long time now where 16 years is a long time and I remember picking up the telephone and talking to somebody and I knew full well that there was nobody there and yet I was hearing a voice and this is the weirdness about the hallucination I knew what was happening and yet I couldn't do anything about it I remember being in the bath and thinking that I'm going to slip because I couldn't feel my feet I had to keep checking where my feet were and and that peripheral neuropathy which is what it's called that lack of feeling through my feet and through my shins that had been going on 
for a long, long time. And it obviously had been gradually getting worse and worse. But, you know, in hindsight, even driving, you know, I, I couldn't necessarily feel how much pressure I was putting on the accelerator. And it was really through muscle memory that I was able to drive and work my car because I was not feeling those sensations through my lower legs. And absolutely frightening when I think about it. I was teaching my classes, right? looking in the mirror so I could see what I was doing because there wasn't the feeling there. Literally from from my knees downwards towards the you know the final stages and frightening but incredible how the body heals because now absolutely everything's fine. And actually it didn't take as long as I thought maybe it took 18 months to two years for me to get full feeling back. So what have I learned being alcohol free? Well, first of all, that I'm so grateful and so thankful for rehab because what I absolutely do know is I tried and I tried to use willpower to stop. And I didn't realize that trying to stop by willpower was the very thing that was keeping me addicted because every day I would bargain. Every day it would be different. Every day I would drink less. Every day I would buy less. And every day that I didn't, the more I reinforced this idea that I wasn't good enough, that I was a failure. And those emotions and that sense of not being good enough and of my life never being able to change because I didn't know how would perpetuate it by me trying to use willpower. So the first message, the first thing that I want you to take from this is if you are trying to stop drinking through willpower, stop. You need to surrender and accept the fact that you cannot do it yourself. Get help. AA was part of being in rehab and the building where they had the meeting was right next door. You, you literally went out the front door and round the corner into an outbuilding and there was your AA meeting. Now, was I delighted and overjoyed to be in an AA meeting? God damn, no, I was not. I was in my head. I'd got that whole stereotypical idea of what AA was for, for dropouts, for down and outs. But, you know, I'd got this arrogant, grandiose side to me back then that, thank God, I don't have any more that believed I, I, I was better than this. Until I realised, even at that very first meeting, that all kinds of people go to AA, all ages, all professions, male, female, gay, straight, lesbian, bi, it doesn't matter right it alcoholism doesn't has no bounds whatsoever um and so i was talking to people who were accountants and doctors and solicitors as well as people who were who were brickies and students um just right across the board uh, housewives um, and 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 husbands and just everybody uh and all of a sudden i was listening to what was being said even though i didn't understand right in the very first aa meeting god my god it's so confusing and you don't understand, you've got these things all over the wall, you've got the 12 steps, you've got the 12 traditions plastered up there and you're reading through and it's a bit like gook, and all you can hear is this God word that keeps cropping up and I'm completely not into religion at all and I'm thinking, oh Jesus Christ, this is like a like a cult and I've just said, oh Jesus Christ, there, that's so, so it's one of those things, isn't it, that you grow up hearing and forget where the origin is but um, you know, that, that was off-putting to me, and I know it is for a lot of people. So the second message that I want to get across is that you do not have to be religious to go to AA, right? The term is utilised. I changed it to a power greater than myself. Call I call that God.
I call it the universe. To be quite honest, I talk about the universe all of the time because as far as I'm concerned, the universe is more powerful than me. And all I needed to believe in was that there was something more powerful than me that was going to help me. And it already had. It already had because it had made that bank holiday weekend 16 years ago happen. And if that bank holiday 16 years ago had not happened, I would not be here sharing this with you now. That I absolutely do know. And so for the first year, I did exactly what I was told. I was really fortunate that the people in the Priory recognised that if I went back after a month, because that's how long you normally stay in rehab, if I went back into the situation that I was in with this person who was married, was not going to leave his wife, and, and all of the pressures that I had, um, I probably would relapse and I would not survive it. So they suggested that I go to South Africa for a secondary rehab uh, for two months and a voice it wasn't mine when I was offered that said yes because logically I would I would have said no because I got a six-year-old kid and her seventh birthday was when I was in rehab that very first week and I felt so guilty that I wasn't there for her birthday I'd organized her party and everything beforehand but I wasn't actually there and there was a lot of guilt to begin with but also I knew that I had to let that guilt go and focus on getting me well so that I could then start afresh with building my relationship with my daughter in a way that I could actually properly be a parent. So I went to South Africa for two months and I was told before I went it would be a good idea to get myself a sponsor so that when I came back I was ready to go and work through the steps. So being always the person who liked people please, and it does stand you in good stead, it's not all bad. I know I've talked about people pleasing as being negative, but there's a positive to it. And in this case, it served me really well because I had to get over my fear of approaching a complete stranger and asking them to be my sponsor and take me through the steps of AA. And a lady spoke and there was just, just the way that she spoke was like I'm speaking to you now. It was very straightforward. There was no beating about the bush. She called a spade a spade. And uh, I was like, "You, I need you to be my sponsor. And at the end of the meeting, there were so many people crowding around her and I was so close to bottling it. But thankfully, that voice again in my head said, just wait, you need to ask her, you need to have a sponsor in place for when you get back. And so I can tell you that I was shaking like a leaf internally. My stomach was doing flips, somersaults, and goodness knows what. My palms were sweaty. And I asked her if she would be my sponsor. But I was going away to South Africa and she was so straightforward. She just went, Let me know when you get back. Here's my number. You'll be at my house at Tuesday night on a 7 30. I was just like, whoa, okay, no messing. That was it. I was I was sorted. I'd tick the box. I'd got somebody sorted. So literally when I got back, um, that first Tuesday, she expected me to rock up at her house. Now at that stage, I had decided that the person I was living with, it was better that he didn't live there full time. I had to meet back up with my daughter again. That was scary um, and get into some kind of normality. Fortunately, I lived in a cul-de-sac and had some amazing neighbours who, although they knew that I got an issue with alcohol, they don't necessarily know how bad it was until I disappeared for three months. Obviously, then they knew. And um, one of them very kindly stepped in and my daughter went over to her house on a Tuesday night, initially for the first few weeks until I could get myself sorted with a, with a permanent babysitter. Uh, and that's what I did. 
and I started to go to AA meetings um, as, as often as I possibly could. It was usually one to two a week at that point, usually on a, on a Monday night. And obviously I went to my sponsor on a Tuesday. So I was leaving my daughter two nights, already felt guilty about that. And then on a Saturday or a Sunday, I would try and make another meeting as well. And it was very much a case of me having to work out what fitted, how it fitted. I'd already decided when I was in South Africa, and I'm so grateful for that, it gave me space to breathe and plan what I wanted to do. And I decided that I didn't know if I wanted to continue being a fitness instructor and exercise instructor. I didn't know, I wasn't sure. But what I did know was that I was pretty damn good at teaching people stuff, and maybe I should utilize those skills uh, and go back to studying. And that's what I chose to do. I went back to, to study uh, and finally graduated. And while I was doing all of that, I also applied to do my addiction psychology um, masters and I got accepted onto that course as well, which I was delighted about because I wasn't I really wasn't sure. My confidence had taken a big hit, I can tell you. I didn't know who I was for that first two years. I was finding my feet. And this is what the the second takeaway I want to you guys to take from this is that you need to give yourself time to discover who you actually are. Because when you have issues with alcohol or food or both like I did, you very much wear an absolute wardrobe full of masks. And it's really difficult to know who you actually are. And so for those first two years, I was very much finding out who I was. I was practicing my communication skills. I was studying neuro-linguistic programming, was trying to reframe stuff and learn how to communicate clearly. Sometimes I was bloody rude and blunt um, and didn't realize. Fortunately, um, I had some people around me who were able to tell me that you know, that's not the way to go about it, but I needed a lot of help. I basically had to learn how to be an adult and how to function in a world where I truly had not functioned as an adult at all. Through my eating disorders, through my anorexia, that kind of kept me stuck in my 12 slash 13 year old. And then my first marriage, it was just like, not reality, it was all fun and champagne and fast cars and VIP lounges and meals out, wasn't realistic. Second marriage was just hard frigging work. Um, and when I ended up in London with somebody else, that too didn't work out. And that's when my drinking really went to a whole other level. When I realized I'd moved from the north down to the south, only to discover that our long distance relationship, which worked really, really well, was actually not a great relationship at all. And I felt stuck. I felt I couldn't go back. It was very clear that people in Huddersfield, my family, did not want me back. They were delighted that I'm gone. And so here I was stuck in London. And that was really, really hard because. Who actually was I? I didn't know. I had so many personas, I didn't know. So the first couple of years were spent finding out who I was. And over the years, all I can say is, thank God that I did what I was told in that I had an amazing sponsor who took me through the steps. She then insisted that I sponsor people straight away. And, and she didn't leave it up to me to find somebody she gave me my first two sponsees and said, you will. 
take these people through the steps. Now, the best way to reinforce the 12 steps is to teach them to somebody else. And any of you who are teachers will, will know that. And any of you who have done any kind of life-changing stuff, the best way to embed anything is to teach what you know to somebody else because it just helps you to cement this stuff in your own head. So I'm very fortunate, again, that I am still you know, in contact with my amazing sponsor 16 years later. She's an awesome lady. absolutely love her to bits and would not be here, I'm sure. In, this, in, in the way that I am, being so positive and so confident if it hadn't been for her being such an awesome sponsor and teaching me to be the same. So I've helped a number of people um, through AA and, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Now, do I still go to AA on a regular basis? Well, here's the thing. I was taught in rehab that you need to go for the rest of your life and that always didn't sit very well with me. I didn't quite, I didn't quite get it. It didn't kind of make sense that if you have recovered from a problem, why would you keep going back and talking about it? Until, of course, I realized that you're giving back by turning up to AA, by talking about your journey. You're giving hope to those people who are starting out and who are just where you have been. And it's that inspiration that is required. Now, that worked for me for, I'd say, the first three to four years. But then after that, I found that I was starting to get a little bit resentful of the time that it was taking. I needed to build my life and I needed to focus on moving forward and not in the past. Now, that's just my journey. I Part of me feels that I ought to go back and, and, and you know, talk to people and, and do the giving back. But I don't feel that for me. That is where I want to be. It doesn't align now with who I am and how I am in my recovery. We all have to, and this is the final takeaway, we all have to find out what works best for us because there is no one set way. I chose not to keep on turning up to AA meetings year in, year out, week in, week out, because I wanted to put the past behind me and focus on my future, a future with my business, with my daughter, with building a life for myself and still discovering who I was. And so for me, I feel that I did what I needed to do and AA has served me incredibly well, but I don't feel now that I want to keep on going back? Do I still hold by the 12 steps being excellent? Do I still recommend that people start by going to AA two or three times a week? Absolutely, yes, I do. Get yourself a sponsor and go through those steps. But now what I want to kind of finish on is that I have completely changed. It is a total transformation. And to be able to talk to you about 16 years alcohol free, has it all been plain sailing? No. But what I can say is when I went through those steps, and then this is this is probably the key thing, when I went through those steps but also did a lot of work on myself and really did the deep stuff of understanding, transforming my language inside my own head. But crucially for me, because I'm a bit of a nerd and a bit of a geek, understanding the physiological, biochemical side to addiction and specifically to alcohol and food addiction, which work on the same pathways in your brain. Understanding the gut and the role that that plays too, and really focusing on absolutely changing who I was, because to be quite honest, I had no clue 
who I actually was. I was whoever you wanted me to be or I was whoever I thought you wanted me to be. But now I can sit absolutely comfortably at 52, 16 years sober, saying that I, when I first went to AA, I didn't understand what the term serenity meant. So we say the serenity prayer and it's God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, I didn't have wisdom back then. I did have the courage to change, but I didn't know what serenity was. I didn't know what the word meant. 16 years later, I can comfortably say that I have got serenity and I am very happy and very contented being a non-drinker. And if you are wondering whether AA is for you, I'm going to say reach out, go onto the online meetings, try different meetings. I didn't just do AA, I did NA and I did OA as well. They're all the same 12 steps but different formats. So it doesn't really matter as long as you do what is suggested. Get yourself a sponsor and work through the steps. Do the steps work for everybody? No. But are the steps basically life coaching? Absolutely, yes. And so if you don't want to go through the steps, reach out for a life coach who has been through alcoholism or addiction because they will take you through a very similar process. Won't be the same wording, won't be the same words in terms of using the God word that I know puts a lot of people off. But the process is the same. You need to look back and get really honest about who you are, what you've done, how you feel about it. Look at the traumas in your life. Look at getting, getting, letting go of stuff uh, that you need to and crucially forgiving people. Because if you are bearing a grudge against anyone or anything, then chances are you will keep on returning back to that bottle. And on that note, I just want to say thank you for listening to my ramblings. I do feel as if I, I have rambled, but I'm very, very grateful to have come that close to not knowing if I would survive or not. I have, I have to say I'm so grateful for the universe for stepping in that weekend because I was so flipping livid when he said he was coming with me, I can't tell you. But it's the best thing that ever happened to me to my family and to my daughter. And over 16 years, I built bridges with all of my family members. And I, I've got two successful businesses and I am very happy and very contented and very serene to be 16 years sober. Have a great bank holiday weekend and thank you for listening.